Welcome to Forest FM, episode 39. I'm Killian Vigna. And I'm Zoe Bilal Springer. This week's episode is an interview with salon owner consultant Richard McCabe of iSalon Coaching, a specialized online coaching program aimed at the hair and beauty industry, providing marketing and business strategies for hair and beauty salon owners. And as always, we top off the show with our upcoming Forest Academy webinars. This podcast is produced every Monday morning for your enjoyment with a cup of coffee on your day off. Now, let's get into the show. So we'd like to introduce Richard to the show. And like we just said in our spiel there, uh, Richard McCabe of iSalon Coaching. So welcome to Forest FM, Richard. It's great to have you on the show. Hey, it's great to be here. So Richard, the reason we're having you on the uh, show is because obviously you have a wealth of knowledge yourself. I mean, like not only are you a salon consultant, um, oh, and if anyone else has seen, you have a YouTube channel where you put up uh, weekly videos and stuff like that. But you've been salon on yourself for over 25 years and you've built three salons in two different countries. Yeah, that's correct. I started my salon journey way back in the UK in a place called Coventry. That was my very first salon at the age of 21. 21? Oh, you were quite young. <laughs> I'm trying to think of what I've accomplished at 21. <laughs> yeah, not much for myself anyways, yeah. Uh, breezing through college. So how did that all come about? Like, how did you get into uh, building a business at 21? I married my childhood sweetheart. So I married a childhood sweetheart at the age of 18. I had children by the time I was 21. and knew that um, hairdressing was never going to give me the lifestyle that I needed unless I was my own boss. So I was forced to go and um, go and get a salon at a very early age. And for the next five years, I was um, earning what I thought was fairly good money but actually running a, a disastrous salon. I didn't make that much money at the end of the day, and my staff had full control over me. And five years in was the big turnaround for me. So you were saying just there that you set up a salon in 21 and you thought you had control, but your staff did. So how long had you been practicing uh, hairdressing before you set up the salon? So like, how much experience did you actually have first? Yeah, so I went straight from my apprenticeship. I started hairdressing at the age of 16, and I did a sort of four-and-a-half-year apprenticeship. And I literally, when I got my papers and they said, you're qualified, I left there and then and went and opened up my own salon. So it was literally weeks after I qualified. Wow, you essentially went straight into it. So I suppose, what was that journey like? I'd say that was fun, was it? it for me, it was, um, I'd never, uh, never worked in a salon apart from the one I was trained at. So yeah. I became a senior um, the day I became that senior, I guess, but in my day, you were working the floor as a first year, so it was quite normal. Um, I, I was cutting hair from my very first year um, as a hairdresser, and it just became very normal. Then by year five, I realized that I probably reached my potential uh, earning capability of uh, working in a salon, so I had to take that gamble. I went to my dad. I promised, promised him um, haircuts for life if he lent me <laughs> the money to set up my hair salon. Um, Anyway, but I left him in England, so he obviously hasn't got free haircuts for life anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so what happened? So, yeah. so when when I'm just going to go back on when you said you know you had no control in the end and in your first salon. When when did that epiphany moment happen? And like like what changed? I, I came to Australia for a holiday um, for the first time, and I left my salon uh, alone with my staff, which was I thought was running pretty smooth. I thought I had it systemized. Mm -hmm. I came here and went back, and I had this one staff member that had really took over my salon. I was scared to let him go because he had a really big clientele. He was a big earner, and I was scared that if I disciplined him, he'd walk and I'd lose my money. 
And um, when I came back from this big break, I was away for nine weeks. Mm-hmm. And I, when I came back and I walked in the salon, the salon didn't feel like mine anymore. Yeah. And I looked at my yeah. round and I just thought, he's got to go. And I knew that if he went, I would lose thousands. And I just thought I'd collapse and burn. Because yeah, we've talked about that mm-hmm. before. Like, it's all well and good, your, your staff having a big client base and like transparency and stuff like that but at the end of the day it is your salon and you have to you have to keep a hold on that yeah it, it was um that, that big holiday really when i came back in after that break i, I realized it but obviously i didn't see the decay while i was in it it was um i, I forgot to discipline him way back when and then i didn't and then i was scared to and then he was running the show I was lending him money. It was it was it was quite strange because I paid myself what I believed at the time was a good wage, so I didn't have anything to complain about. Mm-hmm. But I think that when I came back in there, it was actually the the demise of me. Um, and, and I blame myself that I got him into that state because I should have, you know, uh, picked my game up. I had no leadership skills. I just went straight into a salon. So yeah, I, I was poor all round except for making money. And I'm sure that exact situation you have right there is what a lot of salon owners are experiencing where mm-hmm. a staff member does take it over. So, like, could you share with us just how, how you did deal with it in the end and how did you move on from there then? I, I did what most salon owners won't do and I, I always, when I coach them, I tell them they should do. You've got to draw a line in the sand and for me, it was, if I'm going to crash and burn, I want to crash and burn on my own terms and not somebody else's. So, I drew that line and I said that he has to go. I want my salon running a certain way. And I had a big meeting with all my team and I said, this is how I want my salon to be. This is my dream. Are you going to come with me or are you going to be left behind? And I made that journey and I started the walk. And you shared Mm -hmm. that dream with your staff members, which is the most important part. You're either on board or you're not. I shared that that meeting every... In this country, July 1, our start of the year, in England, I get uh, my salons I look after to do exactly the same thing as me in January 1. They do a big team meeting. They explain their three-year plan, their one-year plan, and how they're going to get there. And the team are either going to choose to come with them on this journey or they get left behind, which I believe that you don't get to sack anybody anymore. The people get to sack themselves. Yeah. That's pretty solid advice because, (laughs) like we said... Coming home to find someone else has taken over your salon, not the easiest to deal with. <laughs> no, definitely not. <laughs> I was still paying the bills, I was still paying the checks, um, but he was calling the shots. And um, it was the, the best thing I did was let him go because I didn't lose the clients that I thought I was going to lose. It was um, quite amazing, really. That's amazing. And how did Isolon coaching come into all of this? Like, when did it come into play and how did it come about? Yeah, so I came over to Australia, my big move, I came to Australia, I opened a salon again with the attitude of, I'm going to be the best in the area, I'm going to prove it to everybody, I'm going to train the best team. And I started my business and got a salon that was ticking over and making some really decent money, really good money. And I got to year six, and I thought I'd expand and get salon number two. And as I was out there with salon number two, realizing that there was too many salon owners that I met were making no money at all, like zero. So um, at the time, six years in, I was only working two days a week in my hair salon. Um, I decided to start coaching people for free. So I had two salons that I didn't really work that hard in. And I got a bit bored. So I just decided to pick a handful of people and another handful of people. And then just coach them for a year just to help them, just for a bit of fun, really, as a hobby. Just on your own accord sort of thing, was it? 
<laughs> well, I, I, I was doing someone's hair, this very clever dude, and I was going to write a book of um, you know, how to have a successful salon, and the man went, why don't you just coach people what you know already? So I put them into modules, <laughs> hit them in the cloud, and then I just decided to coach people, and, and that's how it was born. I find it so funny that you were saying it was while you were talking to a client because we did have a conversation like that earlier where your clients, like hairdressers and stylists, are the therapists, but sometimes it just flips back and a, a client will give you advice and stuff like that. Yeah. So you've just kind of... Yeah, I, I, you've I packed it up. People, the two great advices I got was um, if you launch too late, then you're too late. Um, don't go for perfection. So one man said to me, do it now. Just just get your website out there. Yeah. It was a rubbish website and it was I had rubbish marketing, but um, you have to make the first steps. Uh, and I did. So that was really good advice. And then, of course, he was saying, you know, what do you want to do in life? And I wanted to help people. So um, hence, that's how I started iSalon. And um, how iSalon became a real business, it was a Thursday morning. It's a strange story. I was on the way to work and one of these clients from Alabama called me up and told me she had a mass walkout and she was in dire need and needed to talk to me. I drove to work. I did nine hours straight and no lunch breaks. And I came home and said to my wife, I couldn't help this lady anymore because for nine hours, I couldn't even get on the phone to her. And that day, I put my salon up for sale on myself. Just put it online and I sold it from a lady in Dubai four days later. She flew in the next day, gave me the money cash and I walked wow. in four days. Just like that. Yeah. It, it was strange. I, I put it online. I had four offers within 24 hours. Uh, she contacted me from Dubai and I said, I'm not going to sell you my salon unless you work it. She was on the plane. She landed. I got her to work on that day. On the Friday night, she came in. She worked on the Saturday. She went in and bought it on the Monday, paid the whole lot in cash. Um, and that was it. And she flew back to Dubai. I looked after the place for about three months. Uh, but I sort of went, Ooh, what am I going to do in my life now? It was okay while it was... Uh, I, coaching was a hobby. Now it has to be a real life, and I've got to take it some serious. So that's how it was born. It was born on a glass of wine and a, a silly post on on the web. How it ended my uh, salon journey. Yeah. All good ideas start with a glass of wine. <laughs> <laughs> Usually, yeah. Um, but so yeah, then kind of moving on to topics that you cover, like we we're looking at your YouTube channel, and there was some um, topics that came up over and over again that we can relate to and we wanted you to wanted to see if you could share them with our audience is basically attracting clients systemizing your salon and creating a lifestyle these are big issues that we're always getting clients coming in and looking for help with mm -hmm. and that's why that's really why we have you on the show because there's no better man to talk about it than yourself yeah i've started three salons from scratch i didn't know at the time with my second salon what i was doing but i know what i'm doing now i knew what i was doing then but i just didn't know the results i was getting and 2016, 2017, and 2018, um, you have to follow a certain code, I believe, to get clients. I think there's a, a new client out there, and most salon owners that I speak to don't know how to attract clients. They know how to put specials on Facebook. They know how to um, try and attract cheap clients, but they don't know how to find their real clients. Mm -hmm. And it's so easy if you do it the right way. So you're saying there, like, it's not all down to ads. What small steps, just to kind of, I suppose, kick the topic off, what small steps would you advise? So you're saying kind of tone back on the ads, is it? The, 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 the client at the moment is so well-educated with, with Google and, and all the Facebook groups that they're a part of. They know the answers to everything. And what they're looking for at the moment, the same as staff, they're looking to belong so what they're looking for at the moment, about 67% of the people 
at the moment are looking for a new salon. They're sitting there, they're waiting, they're watching, they're Googling, they're Facebooking, they're Instagramming, and they're waiting to make sure they feel like home. They're looking for somewhere where they can call home. So the messages that most people, most salon owners are sending out to the world are not that I get you. And that's the big key here. They need to get that client. Mm. And that client wants to know that you're the number one authority in town. The, uh, the salon owner now is not um, price conscious enough to go out and, and spend their money on the cheapest. They want to go out and feel like they belong somewhere and they'll pay a bit more for that. Um, so what they're after, they're after the number one salon in town. And in my day, you had to win awards for that. But in 2017, you can actually be your own media mogul and tell the world what you're about. Like you were saying, you have to be the number one on Google. We're seeing the likes of the the, the reviews and stuff like that. It's real important to get reviews, but... I suppose, I suppose to appear number one on Google, it's all about your SEO and the quality of the reviews you're getting in. But to get those five-star reviews, you have to provide the service. You have to provide, a, I suppose, a culture somewhere that the clients are going to enjoy coming. Yeah, it all, it all starts off with um, knowing that client's problem. So if you know that client's problem, that's all they care about. They don't even care if you can fix the problem. They just want to know that you get them. Um, so, so when they know you exist, they'll sit there and they'll watch in the distance. Like 3% will buy now and 30% will never come, but 67% are sitting there waiting. So you've got a massive audience that are watching you very silently and quietly in the background. Mm. But when they walk in the door, they need to feel that what you've said and what you've done and what you've told the world is home, which means that the salon becomes a destination and not you, which means if you systemize your salon, it means that when they walk walk in, every staff member that touches them in their client journey, we call them touch points, will give them the love and that comfy that they're sort of um, wanting out of a hair salon now. So just for our uh, for our listeners there, what do you mean by when to systemize your salon? I was just about to ask the same <laughs> question. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, so, so systemizing the salon is very similar to like McDonaldizing the salon. Um, if McDonald's, if they wanted to put a, hair, um, a restaurant on the moon, they could. They get 15-year-old spotty teenagers to make the perfect coffee 24 hours a day. Uh, we can't get our 15-year-olds to make the beds in the morning. So <laughs> I hear a lot of salon owners say to me that they, um, they can't get their staff to do what they want. But the problem with systemizing the salon is that the staff of today, the millennials out there, they need to belong to the salon. So to systemize the salon, they need to know why it's important to them and why it's important to the, to the salon and why it's important to the client. But they need to build the systems with you. Years ago, leader follower, we used to have a leader follower model where we used to build the systems and the staff were told what to do. Nowadays, the staff have to feel part of that. They want to sit in a coffee shop with their friends and go, I belong at Julie's salon. I work at Richard's salon. So to get that feeling, they've got to build them systems. And if you build it, then they're going to own it. Yeah, they're proud so, of being there, yeah. Yeah, so they, they, feel, they need, almost need to feel like it's their, their, their salon. And that's what they need to do. And we have a touch point. So when you enter, it's touch point one. When you have a consultation, it's touch point two. When you get the base, it's touch point three. When you come back and get the work done, it's, it's touch point four. And then reception is touch point five. And then six is the take-home touch point. So we have a, a six-point system that we teach to systemize each section. And the importance of systemizing years ago was just to have good customer service. But nowadays, that there's too many people out there that drive BMWs and Audis and Jaguars that they expect a higher level. And you've got to keep lifting that game because the rest of the world's lifting theirs. 
Wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's actually, that's so no, but it's, it's so true in the end. Like I, I just think I'm just thinking about all my friends that are starting businesses and, and things like that, and they did so because they didn't feel like they belonged anywhere else than in their own project, and that's it's it's something that reoccurs so often. Uh, people need to feel like they they they're a part of of what's going on, you know, and where they're working. Well, the way I'm looking at it is when I was in college, I was working in a shop part time and working in a shop, it was you do this, you do that, you do X, Y and Z, basically. You never felt involved. So to me, you were always just doing and you absolutely no interest in the mm. job. So like you're saying there, by getting your staff members involved and letting them, I suppose, provide ideas to your plan or to your dream. So like they're actually attributing to your growth. So they're going to feel rewarded and stuff like that then. Yeah, well, I think millennials now, the, the one thing that they, they're not interested in is money. Most millennials that I know don't want money. They want to work for money. They want to earn money. And most millennials I know don't want a job. They just don't want to work. They want to belong to something bigger. They want a purpose in life. So if you explain your big dream and then you find out their dream, and if you can be on the same path with their dream and your dream, your salon will grow fast, really fast. So... Um, you've got to attract the right clients for this to happen. You've got to systemize your salon so they know exactly why and what needs to get done. And, and you build all this together. You have weekly meetings and that's how it is. That's the new world. In 2017, if the owner needs to attract the clients, you and your team need to build the systems that are inside. So just as we're talking about staff there, what would your sort of recruitment process be like? I mean, like, would you tend to hire mostly just for the skills and how experienced you are? Or would you be kind of looking at your potential staff as more kind of... Are they, culture. Yeah. Are they, would they fit my culture? Are they people people? People people? <laughs> <laughs> like, will they get on with staff and clients? Or is it just that they're the best at, um, at what they do? At what they do? Yeah, cool. I never employ anyone on skills. So I have a 20-point system that I interview with. The first five is on personality. It comes down to the fact that um, can, can you smile for eight hours a day? Are you a people person? Do I actually like looking at you? Do I feel happy when you're in my vibe? Yeah. So the first five to me is all to do with their personality. Do I think that the clients are going to love them? Everything else I can teach. Any skill that they need, I can teach them that. I can't teach attitude. You've either got it or you haven't. Yep. Um, I also, which is a, a tip that I always do, is that when, when you become a good salon, you, you become the, the employer of choice. So when I advertise, I get about 100 applicants to come to my salon, and I give everyone their five minutes of fame. I don't do mass interviewing. I don't wean them out before I actually get to see them. I will see 100 that come that actually can be bothered to send me a resume. I'll see the lot. I need, as a person... Um, I need to see them all because I'm looking for that rough diamond that no one else can spot. And I believe that if I get to see a hundred, I get to see the good, the bad and the ugly and the diamond will shine. Where most people try and hack the resumes too short and then you've got no judgment when you just interview six or seven. Yeah, it's a great idea because that's actually like right there, you're actually investing because you're investing your time into all 100 as opposed to just skimming through the CVs, which a lot of companies do do. They're just do do. They're just checking for the skills and they're skimming through, but you're not seeing the person behind that. Like, just because they're not the most experienced they might be the best person to talk to and deal with your clients. 
I think I think the one thing that we forget when we become an owner of a salon, and I, can, I need to I'm going to talk about myself now, not to um, put disrespect on anybody else that may be listening to this, is that most hairdressers that leave school usually leave with zero grades. They're usually slightly delinquents. They're usually slightly troublemakers, and they usually will come across very inept in, in themselves. Because that's me. That was me. I was very shy. I was very inept. And um, most hairdressers I know, because of the way we work, we're creative. We don't come with a great CV. So if these salon owners out there try and work with a CV and this person comes and sits in front of them, um, they're not going to get that right person. That, that, you need to look at that, um, that rough diamond. I'm just going to go off topic for two seconds. So I, 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 I'm going to explain who I was. I left school with no grades. I didn't want a job. I was a bit of a dropout. And I remember walking to my mum's clothes shop in the city centre and this man said, you've got to get a job. You gave me a quick interview skill. And he went, go over to the road to that hairdressers and go and go and have an interview and see if you can get the job. And I walked in there and I thought, who would employ me? I don't even want to be a hairdresser. And they get me the job there and then. They said I was exactly what I was looking for. And I became this mini superstar for them. I became a top earner while I was there. So I always say to people that you never know who's going to walk through your door. You've got to try and see their personality. I was a real people person and I love to care and give. So um, that's what I always look for when I employ. It is great to hear that, especially with the recruitment process, because we're just coming off the back. Like for for the last few years, for anyone that was looking for jobs, you nearly needed Olympic medals like to get you a job. So it is great to hear now that it is switching back to hiring people as opposed to hiring skills. Like it's still good to have the skills, but it's but not all. Learn. Of, you can always learn. Yeah, yeah, you can learn the skills, and a a good salon owner will invest in you if they actually see that potential. Yeah, I agree. I think that uh, we live in a world, especially now, I've just come back from the UK and Italy, so I've seen two, two sides of the world in Coventry where I was. Everyone just seemed quite miserable behind the till and just a job to them. In yeah. Italy, it was like a passion and an excitement. And I think that um, most people that I've ever dealt with, they do business with people they like. And if you can employ someone who's likable, clients will always like them, no matter how good their skill set is. And I think 10 years ago, I had a coach that said to me, you don't need to be a superstar, you just need to be average, but your customer service, the experience, and you've got to be likeable, and that's where the money is. Uh, well, you've definitely taught us a thing or two. So, um, <laughs> yeah, for anyone that wants to check out that YouTube channel, it's Richard McCabe, iSalon Coaching, YouTube, and you've uh, asked Guy Salon Coaching every Friday. Yeah, every Friday I do three important pieces of information that I will send out to salon owners around the world, hopefully just to get them to get that aha moment and uh, realise that there's some great money if you made to salon owners. I've always made fantastic money and people that I know make really good money. So it's money to be made there. And then the, the Facebook group is, do you want to call out the Facebook group there, Richard? Yeah, it's the Tribe of Revolutionary Salon Owners. Brilliant. Um, well, Richard, thanks a million for joining us on the show today. Um definitely opened up some areas areas there for uh, people to look into yeah. and some really good resources now that we're going to link so uh, thanks a million for joining the show today awesome loved every minute loved it <laughs> amazing thanks so much so that was Richard uh, first off about the hiring the staff I thought that was brilliant and mm. man the second thing was like he had a like had his first business at 21 <laughs> years know. of age I know right so, I mean it's amazing to see his path just yeah. like I, I was thrown into it. This is what happened. I had my first salon. Uh, I crashed and burned, but it's okay. And I opened a second one and a third one. Yeah. And now I just moved on to coaching. Like It's amazing to see the, 
personal growth, you know? Yeah, because like you just said there, like we were talking to him for a few minutes just off the air, but it was a case of he he got put into the hair industry mm. and for him it was sink or swim. And he's a classic case of he's still swimming. Like, <laughs> yeah. well, still swimming. He's not struggling. He's absolutely loving his life. He said it's worked out the better for the better for him. Mm. And uh, like, again, it comes back to the recruitment. He's hired people that he can trust and get on with, which makes his life happier, makes their life happier. And everyone's following that one dream. Yeah, exactly. It's all about the culture in the end. And that's how, uh, you know, how like a lot of people ask, how do you reach millennials? Culture. Culture. It's, it's, it's just that one word, yeah. culture. Like like you said, they don't want to just do, they want to be involved, they want to think that their ideas are being heard because, mm. uh, I, like, talking about we as a collective, <laughs> I don't feel it, but, like, millennials <laughs> do feel like they're not being listened to and stuff like that. Uh, I don't know about that now. I know with us here, anytime we have an idea, yeah. we're told, just go do. Yeah. Like, that's Try your it. idea, go. go for it, yeah. And that's what you need to be inspiring on your, your staff as well. Mm-hmm. Give them, give them... Not just, give them free reign, just give them an inch. <laughs> yeah, it's it's all about inspiring your staff. And once your staff is engaged with you, then you'll see the impact rolling onto your clients automatically because they are watching you in the end, like Rich was saying. Yeah, exactly. So we're just going to move over then to our webinar, Zoe, upcoming webinars. Uh, yeah, we do actually have one tomorrow, but uh, you are um, you know more about it than I do. Yeah, so this one is more kind of client-focused, so for salon software clients, and it's the Salon Growth Series. Basically, every month we're going to focus on a new topic. This is the 3rd of the August one, so how to get clients in more often, spending more. Um, so it's on the 22nd, and there'll be another one on next week on the 29th. And the way you can access those or register for them is if you go to the Forest Salon Software Facebook page, go to events, and then check out the Salon Growth Series. So you can pick which one you want to register for. And things that we're going to cover it in is obviously how to get clients in more often, spending more. We're going to show you why it's important to reward your clients. We're going to go through what works for other salons. Then we're going to show you how to increase referrals and promote client retention. And finally, we're going to have a little tip and trick of how to increase your revenue by a minimum of 21%. Amazing. So, um, I mean, if you have any suggestions, people who you want to hear on the show or anything like that, uh, don't hesitate. Leave us a comment or view on iTunes uh, if you want to hit us up on uh, Facebook or Instagram, anywhere you really want, really. Um, you can do that. And otherwise, uh, we'll catch you next Monday. All the best.